so I, I hook up with this girl who's coming to visit from mainland. And like, I couldn't understand why she wanted to be around me. She was gorgeous, bro. I was just this fat fucking whale. Yeah. I was so conscious of making sure she didn't get to meet this mate of mine because he was a fucking pretty boy. And he was just a prick, but I somehow that yeah, was my that's what I thought that's what I thought I was worth, right? Yeah, and it's a natural natural instinct, especially being a big guy, you know. And yeah, I understand. Yep. So anyway, he gets hold of the fact that her and her mates over here, and I kind of started having a couple of kind of catch ups each night with this girl. So anyway, we go out to cinema or whatever. When we get back from the cinema, back to their little holiday shallow that's staying with these two girls and my mate and me, we get inside. There's like, I never forget it, man. There's bunk beds, right? Like either side. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and I was sat on the bottom one and, and this girl, Jenny, sat uh, on the top and, and then old mate, I won't, I won't name him. I should, but I won't. He sat on the other, other top alongside the other girl. Now this motherfucker knew I was a virgin. He knew I was, this was like my first ever soiree into like, you know, yeah. fucking, being involved in a female he knew this and he starts bringing up the whole like you know who how many people you slept with and all that for the girl i fucking knew it so i'm sat on this bunk bed down below big fat fuck that i am and i fucking shit the bed bro i knew if he asked me i'm gonna be embarrassed so you know what i did i fucking shut my eyes and pretended like i've fallen asleep this motherfucker proceeds to start trying to direct the questions that they're answering down to me knowing full well my story and then they realized that I'm asleep. Well, for the next four hours of my life, I've never been so fucking humiliated in my life. So I just fucking fully stayed asleep. Like, I'm like, I was pot committed. I'm like, nah, you can't back out now. And he starts telling them all the stories of me. And they get biros and they start drawing all over my face. They start drawing all over my arms. You know, virgin and fucking sheep shagger and whatever you can come up with. And they're scrawling it in biro all over my face, my arms. And they're giggling, they're laughing, all that. Started becoming real sick at some point. So there was this little bedside lamp with one of those bulbs. And at one point, to see how asleep I was, this mate of mine grabs that thing and and pushes the bulb into my arm and fucking full burns into it. I've still got the burn on my arm now. And I fall just like, no, I've got to fucking stay asleep here. I can't, oh, this is fucked. At the end of that, once all the laughter's died down and the novelty's worn off fucking humiliate me, he then proceeds to fuck her on the bunk bed above me while I'm laying there humiliated with this girl who I thought was going to be the first time I... And she was so beautiful, man. I couldn't understand why she was even with me. Well, 4.30 in the morning, and I remember getting up and creeping out and I had to walk an hour and a half home and I was covered, scrawled with biro. Have you ever tried to get biro off your skin, bro? It's, yeah, it's bro. not fun. Yeah. I got home, I wasn't in a good space, man. My mom come in the next morning, she couldn't find me, right? So she ends up finding me under the bed after looking for 20 minutes around the house, crawled in like a full fetal position like you see in films, just rocking back and forth. What's up, guys? Welcome. We're back again with another episode of the Tonksy Media Podcast. Today's guest is actually a very interesting guy. He grew up on an island in the UK with a population of approximately 76,000 people. His father was never around, therefore he was raised by his mother and his dad and pop. Having suffered with obesity and being picked on through his school years, this led him down a dark path of addiction crime and everything that comes with it. To cut a long story short, he moved to Australia and has done nothing but great things since. One of them being starting the very first crystal meth program in the country. I'll let him continue the story, but guys, please welcome Danny Lloyd. Welcome, brother. Yeah, 
It's a pleasure to be here, bruv. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I've been looking forward to jumping on. You're one of the real ones. I've been watching from afar with you building your, your following, your podcast show, and your brand up. And, you know, a lot of people in the position I know that you've come from and the background you've had could sit in that and decide to play the victim. But instead of seeing tragedy, you made it a triumph. So um, I think there's big things ahead for what you're doing because you're committed to building up a brand that helps other people. And the universal law of life is if you would just help other people, you will be given what you're looking for. So good on you for bringing Tonksy Media to life and good on you for seeing your greatest pain as your greatest gift. Thank you, brother. That that truly, truly means a lot, bro. And, um, you know, as you know, bro, I, um, you know, right back at you, really. I, I came across you um, when you linked up with uh, TikTok Gaz and um, yeah. sort of, yeah, been been following you and you and uh, Jordan Lockerbie since. And, um, yeah, yeah the, lock, the lock dog. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely love what you do, bro. You know, you... 100% one of the most positive, fucking happy-go-lucky people that I come across on my social media, bro, and, and yeah, I love it. Yeah, look, um, someone was saying this to me, something something along these lines the other day when I was doing an interview and saying, you know, oh, you're, you're such a smart guy. I said, I've done so much stupid shit to become <laughs> this smart. And I'll say the same about what you've just said. I have, I, I have felt so broken, lost, dark, and sad to become so happy, positive, motivating, and full of light and love for other people. Yeah, it's beautiful. So much like I said to you before with what you've been through, I I really do believe the minute you can see your greatest pain is your greatest gift, I think the shackles of addiction or suffering get cast off. And then from that point, you have a platform to do anything you want to do with what you've been through, as long as you do the work on yourself on the recovery side. Hundred percent, and that's where it all stems from, eh? It's like yeah. the real pain. The real pain starts when the addiction ends, bro. hundred percent, bro. You know, and um, and you know, and that's another thing. You you say it how it is, bro, you know, hence why I've got you on the podcast and, and you know, I wanted to fucking hear your story for myself, bro, you know. Um, yeah, so let, let's take it right back, brother. I want to I wanna know, you know, where you come from, what sort of led you down the path that, um, you know, you went down, the ugly path, and yeah. what got you to where you are today. Yeah, I mean, um it's a, my story and some of the things that I've managed to achieve alongside the dark times, uh, I don't highlight that much of it because to be quite honest, it's not, it's almost not believable at times. Um, but I will say this, I will share and give you, um, a background of my story. Um, but there's one thing I, and I'd love to explore it later on in this episode and I call it trauma porn. Yep. And uh, I will I will share some of the things that I think molded me and and and, and probably definitely broke me, um, but I won't embellish and go too much into the things because I think when you're on the other side of healing, um, there's a message. There's things we want to say, um, and there's things we can say to inspire others. But we have to tread a very careful line of not getting too hooked on what I call trauma porn, 
where everyone's comparing how fucked up their life used to be. Yeah. If, yeah. That, if, if, that, if that makes sense, there's just this fine line. You've got to no. be real careful of it. You know, I, I've honestly noticed exactly what you just said, but I've never known how to put it to words like you just did. It's I 100% know exactly what you're saying for sure, yeah. Yeah, do you know, do you know what I mean? It, it's, it's like, especially when you are becoming or you already are an influencer, and, like, that makes me sad. Like, people have such negative connotation around the word influencer, but you know what? Like, there's some real cunts out there, like Gaz, like yourself, like Danny, like Glenn, and they, uh, 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 but, but with great power yeah. comes great responsibility. And I think it's very, very important to be very careful on the fine line of trauma porn where we're not like, uh, well, you know, when I got fucking stabbed three times, yeah, I got four, but you know, we're doing this. Yeah. It's like, yeah, okay, that's, that's cool. But actually we survived whatever that is. And now we're fucking here. And we're trying to push the positive message of whatever our audience or people are, yeah. because at the at the end of the day, there's people outside of our audiences, family that care about us that don't really want to hear us. Nobody gives a fuck. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like you know, like my my, my mentor used to say to me, like you know, um, when I'd be complaining or going through some stuff, and, like, and he'd say, oh, Cause you're a nice guy. You think you, you know, you think this is just all going to work out, eh? No one gives a fuck. Keep working harder. Yeah. And it's like it's 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 so it's so true. But anyway, look, um, I come from a little island called Guernsey. It's in the Channel Islands. So you have got the mainland UK, right? And if you look at the bottom of that mainland UK block of land, and then you were to look by where France juts out, right in the English Channel, there, there's a couple of little islands. Now, Guernsey, Jersey, and all in the Channel Islands, they're not really well known or hardly even known by anyone. Interestingly enough, though, we're born from, we're cut from a different cloth. We're kind of like the North, Northern Hemisphere version of Islanders. When you think of Islanders, right, you think of tough fucking people, yeah, right? Yeah. Samoans, Tongans, Fijians, Solomon Islands, so forth, so on, yes, right? Yes. So if, if, I'm, if I'm honest, um, the Channel Islanders, are very, very tough people because of what they've had to grow through and grow up in. So in the, in the like way back hundreds of years ago, it was like pirate island, like full pirate island. Yep. And then during the Second World War, the, the Nazis actually ended up occupying Guernsey and Jersey and turned it into a fucking concentration camp. Yeah. And so all of the Guernsey people were put into these fucking horrific camps they made their own language up, like this pidgin English shit, so they could talk to each other and the Germans didn't know. So I, my, my grandparents went through a lot of shit. Uh, my grandfather was in the Second World War, D-Day landings, um, very decorated uh, soldier. In fact, interestingly enough, which I think is, that's why I call myself the soldier of hope, because my grandfather, at the end of the Second World War, he, after five years of fighting and everyone finally gets to go home, he actually chose to stay back and, de and, and help make the country, Germany, safe for the German people. Like right, yep. detonate, detonate, detonating bombs, doing whatever. And that, to me, strikes a massive chord with me because that takes a very, very unique human being after fighting a war for five years against the enemy yeah. to then to be able to separate that the enemy was the army, not the people, and the people were innocent, stuck in this fuckery with Hitler and whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he stayed back and do that. And it's something that I'm very proud of that he did. 
And my, I see, I never had a dad growing up. So my grandfather raised me along with my, with my nanny, like my nanny and papa raised me. And my mum was working her ass off, bless her, three, four and five jobs um, to, to, to keep us afloat. And so I got raised by a real old school man. And, and I feel like I've got a lot of his, uh, his wisdom and his caring and, and also a lot of his street smarts uh, because of it. Yeah, you know, great, like traits, like yeah, yeah, and look, you know, looking back on looking back on everything, which I'll I'll circle back to afterwards, like the whole having no father thing, like I fucking used that as an excuse to be a prick most of my life, like, and it's such a fucking cop out, mate, big deal, yeah. right? Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's such a fucking cop out. Oh, I didn't have a pet, I didn't have a dad as a man. I'll oh, fuck off, mate. Like. You and however any other people that became successful and did some cool shit with their life. But I decided to use it as some sort of badge of dishonor where I could just cop out and be a fucking prick all the time. So, yeah, look, I, 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 I actually found out live on my podcast when I was interviewing my mum. Because I always wondered where I got this hectic ADHD shit from. Because growing up with my mum and my grand and pop, we didn't have a great deal, but like I grew up in a house full of love, bro. I just want to make that clear. Yeah. I may have gone off to do stupid shit, but like they raised me the best way they could and they armed me with every tool I needed. In fact, the reason I got out of my addictions or the reason I got out of my addictions was the way I was raised. The reason I got into them was not anything to do with the way I was raised. Yep. Ironic. Ironic that, but it's the truth. Yep. But I guess I guess growing up Yeah, so you're uh, completely opposite, bro. Literally, my yeah, mind okay. was opposite. You know, I, I like, yeah, I, I got into it. Obviously, I was, I was destined to do it. You know, it was around me. It was this and that. You know, so I was, yeah. But yeah, go on, brother. Um, it's interesting how the sliding doors of life happen. You know, like yeah. we we both end up going down the same path, but yet our upbringings and the beginnings were the complete mirror opposite. Yeah, yeah, and yet somehow we meet in the middle and go down the similar path separately. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, the the universe is a trip, bro. It is, bro. It's a fucking trip and a half. That's for sure, hundred percent. Um, but yeah, look, I uh, from a young age, um, I, I so back in the day, my my grandparents, and by the way, they're like my superheroes, right? And I'll find this out live on my podcast, right? Like in the middle of it all, locked, I got to take over because I was fucking shocked. <laughs> so, my, so my grandparents are my superheroes, right? And, I, and I'm like, at this stage, it's a year ago, I'm 39, yep. and I asked my mum this one question because I try to figure out why I'm so ADHD and like hyperactive because you know ADHD comes from quite a lot of trauma when you're young, like you're zoning out because yeah. of whatever. Yep, right? yeah, I'm aware of that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and I'm thinking like, well, why, why was I zoning that? Because I remember nothing but good stuff at home. Yeah, yeah. But interestingly enough, a lot of your 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 behaviors, traumas, ADHDs, and things like that, they can actually come from before your birth too. All right. Now let me explain. So my my mom is live on the podcast. I asked her what was her lowest point in her life. So she turns around and says this. She said, "When you were conceived." because your father and me were not married and your grand and grandpa were uh, Roman Catholic, uh, and I told them that I was pregnant with you, um, they threw me out of the house. I was couch surfing for the whole of your pregnant, like the whole of developing you pregnant. Like when I was pregnant, I was couch surfing because they disowned me for uh, falling pregnant without marriage because it was quite like that it, it back then. 
Yeah, wow. Which makes so much fucking sense at why I was such a scattered individual. Yeah. Um, because while my fetus is, is developing, and you know a lot about this whole situation, you just yeah. had your third, congrats, congratulations, just had your third Thanks, bro. But child. I do. Uh, trust me, I'm all over the, the, the female body and how it works, bro. 100%. Yeah, right. I do. Yeah. So, so, so you, you think about this, right? And you think about the fact that uh, my mother, for the whole nine months, had no idea where she was going to stay every day. She was living on her mate's couch, and she's trying to, like, figure out how am I going to have this baby? The father's run off. Uh, can you imagine the development oh, issues that, it, that it's causing in a, in a, in a um, stress sense? Yeah, right? 100%. Yeah. How the fuck am I going to raise this baby? Where am I going to live? You know, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and so, so there's an interesting thing in the clinical industry that I've worked in, uh, in the drug and alcohol and mental health and that. And, and there's this thing called Maslow's hierarchy. I'm not going to go into it, but people use it a lot. It looks like a triangle yeah. and it's segmented. Yeah. So Maslow's, basically says to have any chance of elevating through as a human being, much like the stage of recovery in a certain way, to have any chance of elevating from a human being to go through the stages of change and get good. The base level of the foundation of the the pyramid has to be met. And what's that? It's safe space to live, food and water. And so my mom was under tension before I even popped out. So this is where the story started to unravel for me. And then by the time I was, um, I think about six or seven, I started putting weight on, bro. Like, and I guess looking back at it, I think my mum overcompensated for me not having a dad around and having yeah. someone around. And so, and so even though even though we didn't have a lot of money, we still had food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when I, I kept wanting food, uh, my nan and my mum were both probably uh, guilty of saying yes too much. Yeah. And, and and I was getting bullied at school from about seven. Like so just for a frame of reference, bro, I'm six foot four and yeah. I'm about a hundred kilos. Like I'm yeah, not I'm a six small five guy. And I'm a hundred as well, brother, yeah. Yeah. So like I'm not a small guy. Yeah. And yet at school, because I had no male influence other than my grandpa, no one showed me how to stick up for myself. So I was getting the fucking shit kicked out of me or being bullied on a regular basis and all I actually could have done once would have lifted my big fucking bare hand up and whacked someone and they would have left me alone but I actually spent my whole secondary school doing nothing about it and having like little fucking piss stains come kick shit out of me when I could have just done something did nothing I was like the gentle giant bro yeah and so I became grossly obese I was 162 kilos at my worst when I, when I was like 15 years old wow um, like massive, bro. And yeah. um, my grandfather, uh, in the last few years of his life, when I was like six, uh, between seven and ten, he developed Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and got really ill. But my grand refused to let him go in a home, so she cared for him all the way to the end. But what I used to happen is I'd stay at my grand's and pops. My mum would be away working. And uh, he'd have falls in the middle of the night. He'd have episodes like he's in the war. There was a lot of stuff constantly happening in my life. Even though everyone in it, my mum, my dad, uh, my mum, my grand, and my pop, were full of love and always looking after me, there was constant like things just always happening. There was never, there was never peace. Like my mum was started going traveling for business to try and make us money. Yep. She started uh, so she would be away sometimes three, four weeks at a time. I'd be staying at nanny and pops. Pop would be having his episodes. 
it was just constant hyperactive stuff happening to just yeah. completely disrupt my brain. And but the irony being is that my fucking family was still giving me all the love and care. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But anyway, I um, by the time I got into my like mid teens, I was a late bloomer, bro. I, I I couldn't. I don't even think I kissed a girl till I was sixteen. I mean, I lost my virginity when I was like eighteen. I had no fucking clue. Yeah. I, I, I just was a fucking, I was a, I was a bit of a joke of a man in a way, in, in a way I'm not condoning violence or fighting or nothing, but I'm just saying, fuck me. Like in one sense, I was like the kindest man you meet, which I still am. In the other sense, I should have just stuck up for myself a little bit more. Yeah. I had my, I had mates, I had the couple of mates that I had running off with any girl that I would have tried to get with. Like I just had no respect from anyone. I was just a fucking, you know, I should have been called Matt, not Dan, because every cunt walked all over. Yeah, a good way and to I think, it, yeah. And I think what happened, bruv, is I think it started creating a monster in me. And by the time I got into about 14 years old, I started drinking heavily because uh, it's, a, it's a culture over there, much like Australia, but we have our, in our own way. Yeah. Islanders, as, Islanders as well, right? There's Brother, fuck I'm all to do. Ta- I'm from Tasmania. I'm born and bred in Tassie, bro. I'm an Islander yeah. myself, you, you know. Like. So you, you know, you know, you know, you know the script. Yeah. So I think just drinking excessively, and I'm a big unit, right? So I can put it away, and and then just start smoking, smoking weed, and, and carrying on. Um, and then by the time I I left school, um, I. I just had started already before end of school. I didn't really get on with anyone at my school. Uh, I didn't really like about the time I was in my teens anyway. Yep. And I started hanging around with a lot of fellas from another school. Um, they were pretty tasty individuals. Like they were, they, they come from a lot of them come from broken homes. Um, a few of them have come from good homes, but they're all from a, like a, like a, I don't know what the fuck you call it over here, like a public school, you know, like a, yeah, a normal yeah, school. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, like a like a rough school. Yep. yep. Right. And can, uh, can I, ask, I don't know. Can I ask? Did you feel like? Um, did you feel more accepted by these guys? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Like, because I spent a lot of years in Alice Springs running this meth program, and I worked with a lot of gang members. Right. So it's interesting. A lot of people that fall into gang life only fall into it because it's the only men that accept them. Yeah. And then from there, from there, that's your brotherhood, but you don't realize what you're getting into, right? Said, so, uh, uh, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So, like, it's like, well, fuck, I'm invisible. No cunt sees me. No motherfucker wants to talk to me. Um, I, I'm going fucking nowhere. And then a couple of couple of older fellas put their arms around you and say, hey, you, you all right? Hey, you should come hang out with us. And you clean. And, and, yeah, and you're fucking innocent, bro. You're like, oh, yeah, this is fucking cool. I've I, I found my click. Yep. And then next thing, there's fuckery and, and bullshit afoot, and you're already in. Yeah. It's it's fucked. Um, so anyway, I, I was rolling around with these lads. Fucking sound lads. They just had a lot, a few of them anyway from this little crew of people we used to all go hang up at this leisure center thing as a whole fucking, you know, I'm 40, bro, so I'm a little bit, Little bit, little bit back in the day type yeah, yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and obviously different culture, right? In Britain and then over here. But anyway, uh, I started trying to fit in, fit in more, and I started smoking weed, and then I started taking, you know, pingers and speed and and all this other shit just at weekends to go raving and dancing and and do whatever. 
um, thinking I had it all under control and things just would spiral. And, and, and I think I replaced my, my original addiction was food, 100%. Yeah, yep. And I think I replaced my addiction with food with an addiction to just wanting to escape my reality because I didn't like living inside my body. I had, like, during being a fat guy, I mean, there's this one time, right? I'm a, you know what, fuck this. So the first girl I ever had anyone show interest in me, right? Like, I had fucking no one ever wanted to come near me. But this girl, anyway, she comes over. Just give you an idea of the kind of shit that I, I used to let slide. You'll laugh at this man because I know if this had happened to you, you'd have fucking probably buried this cunt. Yeah, yeah. So like this is this is this is at the time was my best mate apparently. So I, I hook up with this girl who's coming to visit from mainland, and like I couldn't understand why she wanted to be around me. She was gorgeous, bro. And I was just this fat fucking whale. Yeah. But I was like, well, fuck it. I'm going to run with this. Yeah. So anyway, I was so conscious of making sure she didn't get to meet this mate of mine because he was a fucking pretty boy. And he was just a prick, but I somehow that yeah, was my that's what I thought that's what I thought I was worth, right? Yeah, and it's a natural natural instinct, especially being a big guy, you know. And yeah, I understand yep. the natural natural instinct, yeah. So so anyway, he gets hold of the fact that her and her mates over here and I've kind of started having a couple of kind of catch ups each night with this girl. Like, oh, we should go out to the cinemas and whatever. So anyway, we go out to the cinema or whatever. When we get back from the cinema, back to their little holiday shallow they're staying with these two girls and my mate and me, we get inside. There's like, I never forget it, man. There's bunk beds, right? Like either side. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and I was sat on the bottom one and, and this girl, Jenny, sat uh, on the top and, and then old mate, I won't, I won't name him. I should, but I won't. He sat on the other, other top alongside the other girl. Now, this motherfucker knew I was a virgin. He knew I was, this was like my first ever soiree into like, you know, yeah. fucking being involved in a female. Yep. So anyway, he, he, he starts, bring, yeah, so he, he knew this and he starts bringing up the whole like, you know, who, how many people have you slept with and all that for the girl. I fucking knew it. So I'm sat on this bunk bed down below, big fat fuck that I am. And I fucking shit the bed, bro. I knew if he asked me, I'm going to be embarrassed. So you yeah. know what I did? I fucking shut my eyes and pretended like I'd fallen asleep, right? Anyway, this motherfucker proceeds to start trying to direct the questions that they're answering down to me. Knowing full well my story, and then they realize that I'm asleep. Well, for the next four hours of my life, I've never been so fucking humiliated in my life. So I, I, I just, I, I just, so I just fucking fully stayed asleep like I'm like I was pot committed I'm like no nah, you can't back out now yeah so they start coming down he starts telling them all the stories of me and they get biros and they start drawing all over my face they start drawing all over my arms they start putting you know all that fucking stupid shit you know virgin and fucking sheep shagger and whatever you can come up with and they're scrawling it in biro all over my face my arms and they're giggling they're laughing all that and, and, and it started becoming real sick at some point. So there was this little bedside lamp with one of those bulbs. And at one point, to see how asleep I was, this mate of mine, my best mate, grabs that thing and, and pushes the bulb that's been sat for hours on into my arm and fucking full burns into I've still got a burn on my arm now. Fuck and I fall just like, no, I've got to fucking stay asleep here. I can't. Oh, this is fucked. So anyway, they do a few other things. I'm going to go into all of it. At the end of that, once all the laughter's died down and the novelty's worn off, fucking humiliate me, he then proceeds to fuck her on the bunk bed above me while I'm laying there humiliated, 
with this girl who I thought was going to be the first time I, and she was so beautiful, man. I couldn't understand why she was even with me. Yeah. I never forget that night, right? And the next, so I waited for everything to die down. I remember laying there about four, four thirty in the morning. And I remember getting up and creeping out and I had to walk an hour and a half home and I was covered, scrawled with biro. Have you ever tried to get biro off your skin, bro? It's, yeah, it's bro. not fun. Yeah. So, uh, I got home and, uh, I was fucking dead. I, I, I wasn't in a good space, man. My mom come in the next morning uh, to, to, to ask me something or do something or say I had to go somewhere. I can't fucking remember. She couldn't find me, right? So she ends up finding me under the bed after looking for 20 minutes around the house, crawled in like a full fetal position like you see in films, just rocking back and forth, just skip, oh, like, skip. Her, like, poor bastard. It. Yeah, fucking hell. And, and, and that was my first frame of reference for uh, intimacy or, or for, for being with a woman or, or whatever. Um, and I look back at it now, I think it fucked me up a lot more than I realised. Um, but I always had a good way of just trying to find the, the bright side of things and move on from stuff, but it's yeah. actually not that healthy always to do that. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. You've, yeah. So anyway, the preceding fucking next 20 years to be quite honest to make it to make it easy to understand is i've done nothing but run away from me and it's impossible to do that like i've gone traveling i've moved to countries to towns anything i could saying i'm traveling or doing whatever and all i'd ever fucking do wherever i went find the same fucking problem which is me and i kept running and here's the ironic thing when i dropped all my weight i went from being a fat fuck to then becoming desperately thin having body dysmorphia eating issues everything and every time i got involved with a with a female and, and a, in a relationship well for one i would attract the wrong person because i had such low self-esteem yep for t- and for two once it got into that point where you're in a relationship and you know you know how it goes you're intimate and you're doing the things i used to be i i, I wouldn't even want to have my clothes off in front of a woman i would freak out enjoying what most men would enjoy. Like I had yeah. a lot of fucking mental damage it's and I swear it's all the way back from that first thing I told you about. And then a lot of stuff after that, but it's ironic, man. I was, I was grossly obese and then I turned into a fucking stick insect. Like I think it was about 89, 88 kilos, maybe even less. And you know what it's like at six, five and I'm six, four, you've got such long limbs. It's hard enough to put any meat on them, even if you hit the gym, right? Look at this, brother. Yeah, I was sixty. Yeah. I was yeah. sixty-eight kilo, brother. I know. Trust me. Yeah. Yeah, it got it got. It, I think I don't know how bad it got got down to in the end because at that point I wasn't wearing myself. But I've I've had eating disorders my whole life. I've always not had a good relationship with food. I've never had a good relationship with myself. I've never been able to look at myself in the mirror, and it's ironic. Because a lot of people that meet me think I'm some sort of fucking arrogant, loudmouth, pretty boy cunt. Just because of the way I look and the way I dress. And it's got fuck Like, it's the opposite, bro. Like, and, just, and, 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 I, and I... Sorry, brother. I just want to cut you off right there after you say that, brother. And I'm not just saying this. I, I'm not one to piss in your pocket, brother. I'll tell you fucking straight. Like, yeah. you... Literally, bro, are fucking awesome, man. Like, honestly, the way you look, you are you are that arrogant, loudmouth fucking pom, you know. And I yeah. fucking love it, brother. It's it's awesome, you know. Every every day I watch your lives, and 
what's happening, motherfuckers? It's like, fuck <laughs> yeah, bro. Like, seriously, man. I, I, yeah, it's that's just straight up, bro. You know, I, I am. Um, yeah, yeah no, I know I, you, bro. I do, and especially now hearing you a bit of your backstory, brother. Like, fuck, man. Yeah, it's it's, and the reason I share this is one of the big things that I'm very passionate about is using everything I've been through to be there and try and help support men back out of the depths because. We've gone from one extreme to another. We've gone from a, a world that was that was uh, that, that was male chauvinistic, had no respect for women, women had no rights, to a world now where we've gone too far the other way, and now we have so much PC around uh, uh, pays uh, women's rights. And and get me wrong, I love women. I'm not saying that it's wrong that they got what they they needed. Yeah. But we've gone that far that way now that men are so fucking lost. And even in their own family homes, I don't even like men don't even know how to fucking talk to their kids without being shamed. They can't have a joke about anything without being toxic. And and the reason I thought I'd share that story before about what happened to me when I was young and, and, and losing my virginity when I was late and all that is there's a lot of men that I know that they keep posturing and and and, and and acting the lad and, and carrying on when I'm around people I know and even people I don't. And a lot of the time, I just want to look in between the eyes and go, fella, you can just stop with the bullshit, man. Stop with the bravado. Like, there's no need for it. You're safe, man. Like, if you want to be a bit fucking, if you want to feel a bit weak or you, you, you just want to talk normal about a woman, you don't have to give it this big one and fucking carry on. Yeah. Like, it's okay, man. Like, I'll fucking see you and I've got you. Um, and that's what I'm trying to do a lot. And I'm going to do this year with, with my social media stuff is I'm going to start talking to men to start feeling comfortable in their skin and not needing to act like fucking cavemen because they think that's what they have to do or the other side of things where they don't even know how to act or say anything. And I just want to bring that middle ground back where men feel like they have a little bit of grounded feet again, because there's yeah. so many men lost. The male suicide rates through the roof. The thing me and Gaz and that just went up to Canberra for, you know, two and a half thousand men a year dying from situational That's fucking crazy. trauma because of the family courts and a lot of other things. And, you know, I just think it's about time that we, if we're going to sit here and talk about this shit, right, let's talk about the fact that Males may have made a lot of mistakes and there is definitely a toxic male culture and there's definitely males that do bad shit. But there's also a very, very big collection of really good men who are being treated very badly by a few ungood women. Like, oh, definitely. It, it works It yeah. works both ways, right? And I feel like I've built my presence on social media up enough now for people to realize when I say this, I'm not being a cunt. No. I'm not trying to be Andrew Tate. I'm being real. I'm saying I fucking work in the industry. I've got a business that helps people on a daily basis. I know what's going on. I teach emotional intelligence to men and women all the time. I just think that I'm very worried about the direction that that we're headed and how fucking lost men feel, bro. It breaks my heart. And so if I can do something every day to show up and just bear my fucking soul. I, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, it's not costing you nothing. It's, yeah, that's right. I, I don't care. Like, I, I literally, man, I don't hide nothing from no one. You want to know something about me? I'll tell you the most embarrassing shit that you think would be embarrassing. I don't care anymore, bro, because I spent my whole life caring too much. Yeah. Now I've gone through so many things and I've got so many, so many, uh, so many good scars 
to use so others can avoid being scarred too and hopefully help lead us back out of this fuckery that we've unfortunately fell into because of political correctness. Yeah, yeah, 100%. You know, it's, it's so good that, you know, it's so good to know that there is people out there that are like that, bro, like exactly what you just said, you know, because like you said, the fucking 90% of people uh, aren't. Do you know no. what I mean? And it's like, if just that 10% of people can, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know you, what I'm you know, saying? You know, like, yeah. I. I've got, look, bro, like, I've got other stories I could tell. But what I said to you right at the beginning, bro, I'm not doing the trauma porn thing. Like, I could tell you some of the things I've done that I'm not proud of and yeah. the, the, the the situations I've got in, the, getting involved in the drug dealing and the, the the chaos and the violence, all the rubbish. But you know what? That's just That was just a small part of who I really am. Yeah. And, like, you know, for instance, I I give it to you this way. When I when it's, when I was twenty years old, I was getting in so much trouble in the UK. My mum was at her wit's end, bless her. My mum and stepdad. My stepdad's amazing, bro. Like he's my he's my father. Yep. He's been in my life since I was eleven years old. Yep. And he's a, he's a hard man, and he fucking used to fucking scare the shit out of me. And he's had a lot of shit to deal with me from in the first ten years. But without him, I don't reckon I would have made it. Yep. And when I was 19, I got arrested. I was just getting arrested for all sorts of shit. My mum sat me down and said, we can't do this anymore. You've got to leave this island. If you don't leave this island, you're going to end up in a box. Can it's I just going ask, to be con- ha, ha, what was the population of this island, bro? Like, just, I don't 70, 76,000, and I think it's 23 miles long and 15 miles wide. Oh, wow, it's a tiny fucking island, bro, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's small, bro, and it's, yeah. it's full of a lot of, a lot of small-minded behaviours and judgments. Yeah, and it's sort of once everyone. Everyone once you're known by the the law, there your face is yeah. It's yeah. fucked. Tasmania's it's the fucked. same. And, yeah. and and the worst thing is, it's got one of the. It's like the barley of the UK. So if yep. you get caught with drugs, you'll you'll do more time for drugs than murder over it. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Yeah, it's it's fucking bad. And I was dealing cocaine and like I was dealing all the pills and and I was not being smart about it and the customs. It was a whole fucking disaster. Anyway. Uh, the long and short of it was, my mum said, mum did something for me back then that's probably ended up changing my life. Um, and she basically said at 19, she said, we can't do this anymore. You, if you don't leave this island, you're going to end up in a box. It's either going to be wooden or concrete. It's going to be your choice. Um, either way, you'll lose your life. One will be a long loss of life in a fucking concrete box. And the other one will be you end game over brown bread in a fucking wooden box. And I don't want to see my only child do this. So she said, you've got two choices. You either go to the army or you go traveling, but that's it. You're out of this island. And I'm like, you kiss my fucking ass if you think I'm going near the army. Yeah. So I chose traveling and I come over at 20 years old after working my ass off for you and saving money to Australia. Just on a work visa. And fuck did I work hard while I was here. This is in 2003. So we didn't have very good rights back then, backpackers. It wasn't great, brother. Yeah, I'll tell you 100%. that now. Yep. And so I worked for six months in Innisfail as a banana farmer. That was probably one of the hardest fucking jobs I've ever had in my life. I'll take my hats off to to farmers of whatever ilk and whatever vegetable or fruit they farm, but that is hard yakka, bro. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've, other- I've planted trees, bro. Planted trees, the yeah. same, same deal, you know, same sort of contract work. It's, um, yeah, I, I know the deal, bro, yeah. Yeah, you know, the, you know the script. But you know what? That year and a half over here, I think it made me into a man. 
And anyway, by the time my visa finished, I moved back home because I had to leave the, leave Australia. But I always wanted to come back to live here and move here. It's my fucking dream, bro. And I, and you know what? I went back home and I fell into the same bullshit. But I was always, it's kind of like Gaz, like me and Gaz have grown real close and, and we've talked about it. And there was always this thing that I had, and it's the same with him, where no matter how fucked it got, the universe just was never going to let us fall completely over. Like, it was always keeping us protected because there was a bigger thing ahead after we got out of the bullshit. It's interesting, man, the universe and how it works. And it'll be the same for you. There's, there's reasons. Is, there's bro. reasons, right? So anyway, interestingly enough, I fucking went through a lot of other shit in my 20s. But I, I, I in the end, managed to achieve getting my visa to move here. Um, I moved over here with an Aussie girl that I'd met over there. We'd been dating for a couple of years. Did a de facto visa, and I fucking land here on my 29th birthday. I, I've achieved the dream, bro. Right? I've managed to do it. I've, I, I've landed, and it should be all fucking plain sailing, right? So I, I've landed here with the dream. Yeah, I turned it into a nightmare in six weeks flat. Like landed in Adelaide, got on the gear. Never, gear doesn't exist in the UK. Like crystal mass, we do speed, but the crystal mass. Yep. Did crystal crystal mass within a fucking minute or two of being here near enough. And that was me gone, bro. And, and and then over the course of the next couple of years, and I was good at it, bro. Like, I know that sounds fucked up, but like, I'm just, I could do it and I'd back it up. I'd go to work. I wouldn't miss a heartbeat. I fucking, you know, I wasn't doing anything. I was working in the mines. I was making bank. I was sending money home. I was looking after my family. Yep. But the whole time, I'm still addicted to something because I still don't like me and I still have no value for myself. And it showed again because this partner, she ended up fucking running off with this young kid I took up the street to help. Oh, no. And, and as that happened, the year before, my best friend, Sarah, got murdered brutally. It was all over international news. She got murdered in Kashmir in India, stabbed 40-plus times, and a lot of other horrible shit that happened to her. And she was a fucking angel, and she was everything to me. And from that happening, and then this girl running off with, with the kid and whatever the fuck, I really remember sitting there at that exact point after she ran off. And I remember honestly looking at myself in the mirror and I felt like if I don't pick the right next move, it could be the last move I ever have. Yep. And I had one person I knew in the whole country who lived in Alice Springs, all places. And I called Trent up and I said, this is the script, I'm in trouble. And, and at the time, after Sarah being murdered, her family had set up a foundation in her memory and a year after her murder, it was being launched and we were all meant to go to Africa, climb Kilimanjaro, which is like the tallest freestanding mountain in the fucking world, yep. raise money and launch this foundation. And I'm fucking four years into crack, like addiction, bro. Like I am flat out on the mess. Day by day, turned into hour by hour, turned into minute by minute. Was you just on the control. pipe, on the smoke on the pipe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. on the on the pipe, and and and, and just you know, binge drinking and all the weed yep. and all the fucking bullshit that goes with it. You know yep. the script. Yep, yep. Um. So anyway, I phone my mate up, and he's he's in Alice Springs, and he says, "Look, get an ABN, come up here for a few months, get your head together before Africa. I'll see what I can do for you." And I'll never forget that. And I didn't even think, bro. I left everything I owned behind to her, wherever the fuck she was at that point. Just left it and went, fuck this, my happiness is more than this. I got on a plane and I got up to Alice Springs on June 6, 2014. And I'll tell you why that exact date is very important to understand. 
that's Indigenous Round Day in the AFL. So I flew in. It was Melbourne Demons versus Port Adelaide at the Traeger Park Oval in Alice Springs. Yep. And the reason that that's poignant is I would then end up going on for the next seven years and opening a program that saved and helped a lot of Indigenous and non-Indigenous people as a white Englishman who completely closed the gap around how Indigenous felt around people like me over in Alice Springs. Yeah. I go over there. I land there for a couple of months. I try to get my shit together. I was still lapsing on and off the gear. I go to Africa. I go, I've got a book out about this shit. I go to Africa and I go climb Kilimanjaro. It's just the memory of my friend Sarah, right? I got on the plane to Africa and I had a still, I still had a pipe just before I got on the plane. I'm fucking drawn out and I've got to go and do a fucking six day, five night trek up a fucking mountain that's taller than any other mountain freestanding outside of Everest. Yeah. And I'm and everyone turns up there, all the gear, no idea, and I'm fucking cooked, bro. And I've got nothing, nothing prepared. I don't know what's going on. End up going and embarking on this trip, and it changed my fucking life, bro. I got to, I, I snapped my ACL ligament uh, in my left knee a day and a half from the top. I still got up the motherfucker to the top because I just, she was my best friend, bro. And we were scattering her ashes at the top. And when you get up to the peak, this is make you laugh. When you get up to the peak of the mountain. It's uh, 6,000 meters above sea level, so altitude sickness affects nearly everyone. Yeah, yeah. And, you, you, and it's kind of like taking acid, bro. People were tripping out thinking <laughs> they were seeing spiders and yeah. all sorts of weird shit, right? The only motherfucker that had no problem with altitude sickness at the top was this cunt. Why? Because I, I was used to having no oxygen in my lungs because <laughs> yeah. I was smoking crack for six years. Now, I've, I've heard you tell this story before, brother, and um, I can't remember correctly, Um exactly how it went but you, you can, can explain certain parts on the way up um yeah yeah can you can you can you give us a spill on that bro because that that really intrigued me the yeah how you so, so so as you go up each day um you're walking probably 10 to 12 hours a day tens and tens of kilometers over rough terrain it's it's hectic and we did it with like 28 other people from around the world that were friends of Sarah's. It was a real unique What sort trip. of weather? So it changes because the elevation is so much different all the way up. So yeah, at the yeah. beginning, down the bottom, it was kind of humid, quite jungly. And then after about two days, it started getting like, the air started getting thinner, but it's still not too bad. And then another two days after that, it's starting to get cold. And then the night before the summit, bruv, uh, so we walked that day. That's like I'd done my ACL at the start of that day. And we walked that day for nearly 12 hours over rough terrain. And then you get to this base camp thing uh, that, that evening at like, I think it was about 6.30 in the evening. You get given some food and then you need to go in your tent and sleep till midnight. And then you start the summit, right? You start the summit and it's minus fucking 20 degrees, right? It is, it is fucking... Minus 20, You're, you don't have a bath for six days, right? You get given a little bowl of water and you've got to kind of bird bath yourself yeah, yeah. like you're fucking homeless, yeah, right? Yeah. And and I remember I remember going to sleep for those three or four hours before we got woken up to get the quick bird bath and, and, and then we had to start summiting. And, of course, my ACL snapped, my knee's blown up, I'm in so much pain, I'm fucking delirious, bro. And it's freezing cold. And we start doing this summer, and I said to Victor, which is Sarah's dad, uh, about two hours into it, and it's pitch black, dark, wind, chaos, freezing cold. And I, I said to Victor about two hours in, because everyone was stopping and starting to lose the plot. And because a lot of Sarah was a lot younger than me, bro, 
right? So a lot of their friends were a lot younger than me. So they're not very resilient at that age uh, when they were there. Yeah. So I, I, after a couple of hours, I, I pulled Victor aside. I said, look, I'm going to go up with my guide, like my guide, William, that I've got to know, and keep going and meet you like towards the top because I can't keep stopping. My knee's fucked. Like yeah. I can hardly walk. And you just keep stopping and fuck asking around. It's no one's fault, but I can't do it. Like I'm in so much fucking pain. I just got to go like tunnel vision. You know what it's like when you've done injuries on a bender or whatever, whatever. You don't want to talk about street yes. stuff, whatever. Definitely. And you're just Definitely. like, you just, you just zone in and go, no, I'll just, yep. I'm good. I'll just, I'll get through this. Yep. A- anyway, I fucking went ahead with William and, and we get to, to Huru Peak. We wait for everybody else. It's mad though, bruv. Like, you know, on the way up for those last few hours, it was so hard. And I swear, man, to this day, and people think I'm tapped, I swear I could hear Sarah whispering to me. And, and every every couple of hours, I'd ask William, my guide, to stop. And I would get stones, and I would make little initials in the, in the, in the ground or a love heart out of stones so that everyone behind that was coming that was tired that wanted to give up would see these little symbols and signs, and it would fuck with their head and think, oh, my God. It's Sarah, like, we're going to keep going. Yeah. And I never I never forget that, bruv. Like, and I remember when we got to the top and then telling them about it, and they all said, fuck, man, like, like we were helped. coming across these things, and we think we, we thought we were delusional, but, like, it helped. And it was like a message come through me, or I could hear her whispering to do it. I can't explain it. It's intuition. I don't know what the fuck it was. Yeah. But anyway, at the top, we scattered our ashes. On the way back down, um... I got detached from the group because I was so fucked, and they had to come fucking looking for me. I ended up Anyway, it's a whole rigmarole. Yep. And then the la- the next day, for the last kind of six hours to get down to the bottom again, they wouldn't let me go any further because I was a risk to everyone. And they, they came to me, Victor and a lot of the others, in a big group because they knew I was a stubborn bastard. And they said, look, you've made it to the top. You've got yourself mainly back down. You've got to get fucking lifted out of here. You're yeah, fucked. Pull your head in. You're, you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're going you're gonna to actually endanger everyone else. And so they ended up stretching me down and out of there for the last kind of half day. Um, but when I was at the top of that mountain, bro, uh, and at the top of the peak, there's glaciers and that everywhere. It's fucking mad. I've never seen it like it. And I just remember thinking, I've got to leave all this stuff go. All this shit from the last 30 years, it needs to go. And I've got to make peace with Sarah being passed in, and I've got to make something happen in my life when I get back. And it was that moment in time something turned for me, bro. When I got back from Africa and I, I moved, I, I, I got back from Africa and I flew into Adelaide. I went and picked up whatever I could from the ex at this point that I walked out on for yep. running off with that kid fucker. And um, I, I packed this few things I had in a 1990 Holden Nova, and I fucking drove from Adelaide to Alice Springs in a Holden Nova 1990, <laughs> rolled into that town, and I'm a plumber by trade, right? So I roll into that town. And I said to my mum after a few weeks of being there over the phone back in the UK, I said, I can't do this trade shit anymore. I said, there's so much trauma and pain in this town and suffering, and I feel like I can help people, and I feel like, you know, I, I can do this. And she said, you even fucking clean yet? So I'm um, a couple of months maybe, like 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 being honest. She's like, how the fuck, you can't even help yourself. She said, oh, well, you know what, son, I'll support you in this. She said, if you want to see a change, you've got to be the change. So go on. If you're going to do this, go out and fucking do it. You're going to take a hit in your wage. You're going to go back to getting paid. Fuck all. I said, well, I'm willing to do that. She goes, well, go do that. Then. So I went and got a job interview as a support worker and a rehab. And I remember them saying to me specifically, they said, you know, 
what are you doing here, Mr. Lloyd? You're a fucking plumber. You've got no previous experience. Everybody else for this job has. Why are you here? And I said, i never forget it, bro. I said, I'm two months clean off meth and I'm going to change the world. <laughs> I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it with or without you. But I'd love if you give me a chance to do it with you. And so they took the chance. They took the risk. They employed me and I worked my fucking ass to the bone for the first two years to get some qualities and some understanding under my belt. Uh, uh, the Aboriginal people guided me and gave me all the knowledge and education I needed to understand how to work alongside them and understand their mobs and understand their culture. I worked my fucking ass to the bone like my life depended on it. And within two years there, I got given the chance to open the first of its kind in this country, a crystal math program. Would you fucking believe it? Unbelievable, And, uh, and, and, and so it was a non-clinical program Lived experience led, which back in 2016 was unheard of. Yeah, didn't it was. Ex- so, so, uh, so the stage was set. I got, I, and I was given no money. I was just me and one other guy I brought on board to work with me. We were driving two small Holden Barinas. We had two mobile phones and just a fucking bucket load of passion and guts. And that was it. And we ended up turning that fucking program into a program that people around the country that could access fucking 20, 30, 50 grand rehabs were flying into Alice Springs to come do what we did in this outreach program. We met the Prime Minister, Malcolm Turnbull. We, we got li- written into Labour for drug reform policies. We changed legislations. We fucking we had the whole criminal justice system sewn up by the end of it, and they changed the way they thought around addiction. I was walking into courtrooms around the whole Northern Territory. I had more power than the lawyers. I worked inside prisons. I worked with gang members. I turned people's lives around alongside them and seen it. But the most important thing is we changed lives. And all because there was just a few broken kids helping broken kids, bro. And that shit there. And when I left, after being there for seven years, like, when I left, uh, i never forget it, bro. Like, the, the day I left, they asked me to come out to the car park. And the building I practiced out of, they ended up naming after me. And I've got a building up there with the Danny Lloyd sanctuary with the, with the elephant on it, my grandma's favorite element, elephant. And to this day, that program still runs and still saves lives. And, and, and so many gang members and people of highly violent backgrounds and even people that have committed murders yep. have completely changed their lives around now because I've got, a, I've, got a, I've got a saying, bro, and I think you'll appreciate this. And I had the whole of the criminal justice system saying it by the end of it. Even the parole board used to fly me up and educate them on on, on addiction and recovery. Fucking crazy, bro. That is, it's honestly mind blowing. I'm speechless. Like, wow. And 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 so the maddest thing was, there's this phrase I used to coin, which is what I would use to begin trying to train parole officers, parole boards, screws, everyone around addiction and around violent men. Thugs need hugs. You want to kill hate, kill it with love. You think men want to be violent? You think men want to go out and fuck everyone over and kill people and main cunts? You think people want to do- No, they don't. But if all they know is all they know, then that's all they'll do. Yeah, that's right. But the minute you stand in front of them with a background and past that I had where I had no fear and I'd stand in front of them eye to eye and I would fucking hug them, bro, and I'd tell them I love them. And they'd feel uncomfortable. And they'd like, fuck you doing, you faggot? What are you going to do, bro? If it, if it means we've got to fucking punch on right now or you've got to do whatever to get my fucking point across, I'm not backing down. Yeah. I don't give a fuck. You need me to teach you how to love yourself. 
because no one's fucking showing up for you. No one's fucking loved you and no one gave a fuck. Well, I give a fuck. So now it's about time you gave a fuck. And I'm telling you, bruv, I'm not going to name names, but there is multiple people, most most of them that should be on your fucking show because their stories are fucking mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah. And, bro, literally, there's one fella, you know, well, he's, one, he's one of my closest fucking friends and brothers now, Chase, but, like, he was went through a lot of shit. And he is now just come off his orders. He's he's in love, finally in love, not, oh, I'm going to fuck chicks. Yeah, yeah. And he, he just got off his orders a couple of months back. I've been coaching him even after I left there. He's in Bali at Christmas. He's wearing, like, matching fucking, um, matching pajama, Christmas pajamas together <laughs> with his missus. And he messaged, me on, he messaged me on Christmas Day, and you know what my greatest achievement this year was? It wasn't everything me and Jordan have done with this business. It's, it, it's, it's what happened this year from all the seven years of hard work I did. And it's having Chase say to me, also, you know, also, you know the script. He's like, us. I don't know why you did it and I don't know why you fought so hard and I don't know why you never gave up, but thank you because my life, I, I, I don't have violent thoughts anymore. I don't hurt people. I, I, I just have, I've got love in my life. I said, yeah, remember what I said? Thugs need hugs, Chase. <laughs> well, brother. And like, that was one of my, that was the biggest Christmas present I could have been given is to see him smiling so genuinely, filled with so much love and finally off orders and overseas in Bali and living his life outside of a fucking cage. Yeah. I think I need to get in contact with this guy. He'd be, he'd be well up for it. He yeah. is he's an interesting. I'll, I'll tell you what, after this, we'll, I'll, I'll hit him up and, and, and connect you to I think he'd be up for sharing his story. He, he anyway. Yeah. But he's just what, he's one of many that have gone on to do so many things. They did it themselves. I'm just saying that we, at the beginning, did everything we could to give them the chance to do it themselves. Yeah. I always said this to my t- to my little team. Jordan was one of them. Jordan, there was me, Jordan, Dion, Four, Martu, what very famous boxing family. You know, Jai Obatai? Brother, so I, Jai Ob- I film in his gym. Like, I'm, I'm mates yeah, with Jai, bro. Yeah. So, so, so ask Jai about Dion. That's his yeah. family. Dion, Dion, Four, Martu, Dion and Donnie. Yeah, okay. So Dion, yeah, yeah. Dion... Yeah. Dion, Dion worked with me and Jordan in yeah. this in this math program. Yeah, wow, and, yeah. Like I know, I know his dad taps and all that, bro. Like taps off a tire and yeah. all that. Yeah. So, so ask him about the, and, yeah, ask him about Dion and Donny for Martel for Martel boxing. Yeah, yeah. So, I know that 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 surname, bro. I do know it. I have heard yeah, it. So I've, yeah. I've obviously heard it in conversation or something. I reckon. But, yeah, yeah. Um, one of my good mates, um, Bo. He's a he's a super lightweight champ, um, and he he trains like with Jai. All the time, you know, and yeah, Taps actually is Bo's coach. So yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, it's um, it, we feel very privileged and 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 uh, blessed. Me, Jordan, and Dion, and and the other fellas that came came along as well, like Celosti and 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 Ania. We were just broken kids helping broken kids, bro, and we knew how to do it, and we were fucking good at it. And we yeah. did it non-clinically and I broke all the fucking rules. I broke all the fucking rules and I'm doing the same with this business with Jordan. We break all the fucking rules and I, I don't hide it. We yeah. break all the rules. You know why? Because guess what? See everything that's being done clinically and all the fucking thing. If it was fucking working, then my business wouldn't exist and be thriving, you fucking moron. Yeah, exactly, So what you're doing exactly. is fucking wrong. Yep. Yeah, 100%, so, brother. Let's... Anyway, look, I... I 
I don't say all that stuff to impress you or the audience. I say it to impress on, upon people that your greatest pain is your greatest gift if yeah. you choose to see it. And my, the, you know the best thing that ever happened to me, brother? Crystal meth. Yep. It's the best thing that ever happened to me yep. because it gave me my why. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When a, man, when, when a man knows his why, he can bear any how. Yep. You know, I, I I really do relate with you saying that, you know, and it sounds fucking stupid hearing that. It really does, you know. But I, I really do relate with it because, you know, if I had never have ever touched it or, or ever and ended up in jail like I did, fuck, bro, who knows? I'd, I'd most likely be dead or, you know, I was tied up with bikey clubs and all that sort of shit, bro. And fuck, bro, getting fucking myself up on drugs and ending up in prison was my greatest gift, bro. It really was, you know. I'd never ever be doing what I'm doing today, like. And that, and that's why I have zero doubt of your trajectory. Your trajectory for what you have escaped. That's not random, bro. The universe no. has pla- The universe has plans for you, and you know why you're being rewarded. Versus maybe a few other people you may know that were in the same position that aren't doing what you do because you're a fucking action taker. Yes. You've backed yourself. You haven't decided to say, "Oh, I'm not worth that because I used to be this." You've gone, "No, no, no, I'm definitely worth that because I've done that." Yeah, yeah. 100%, now the bro, difference respect. between the difference between you and other people like you is that you took action and you went to massive fucking action and you went. And, and you didn't do the perfectionist shit. You just said, I'm going to start, I'm going to start this media company. I'm going to do this podcast. And literally all yeah. of my own. No one, I, no one else. Like, yeah, exactly. And you, you don't give a fuck if you make mistakes, you're doing it. You're taking massive action without worrying about procrastination and perfectionism. And that's why you're being rewarded because the universe rewards a stubborn heart. Thank you, brother. I really appreciate that. I truly do. hundred percent, brother. Now, look, look, bro, we, we are starting to head towards the end. Like, I really want to hear the story on, um, on Inside Out Coaching. Let's, let's hear it, brother. So Jordan Lockerbie, a.k.a. the Lock Dog and me, uh, as you know, as I've said, we did this meth program. We've been friends for years. We live together. We work together. We train together. We, we fucking do everything together, brother. Like, we're, he's my best mate, my little brother, and it's a fucking pleasure and a privilege to have started and opened this business. And when we started and opened it, we shit ourselves. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't have a fucking clue. We're now turning it already to, to in a couple of years, to what we know it will become a global brand. This will be the pioneering and leading edge company in the world that will change the way people think about addiction. Someone 10, 11, 12 years ago was crazy enough to say, I'm going to change the way we talk about mental health. And they fucking did it because now everyone talks about it. Exactly right. So so for us, this, what I did in Alice Springs with, with Jordan and Dion around changing the Northern Territory justice systems of view of addiction not being a choice, being a pain response and understanding that people are already living in a cage in their head. They don't need to be putting another one unless they really need it. We're going to do the same with this globally. We've got multiple businesses. We're about to start up a, a charity arm of our business. We do coaching, addiction recovery coaching. We work with small business owners, entrepreneurs, and professionals 
So they stop fucking their families up in pursuit of money and realize family value over value is what matters. And we also work in the NDIS space as, as mentors and connection and recovery coaches for people with multiple disabilities that have got no one. And a lot of them are actually suffering with addictions, by the way, because the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety. Yeah. The opposite of addiction is connection. Yeah. And if you don't have connection, you'll seek out drugs. You'll seek out alcohol. You'll seek out porn. You'll seek out gambling, sugar, whatever. Take your pick. Yeah. Yeah. You'll find something to connect with if you don't have someone to connect with. Inside Out Coaching and Consultancy Collective is playing big. We're not fucking around. We have been living off fresh air and food banks, nearly going homeless, building this business up. Every bit of money we make, we reinvest into the business. We keep using it to grow systems and stakeholder engagements. We've got this mad thing teed up for the end of this year, start of next year in Melbourne, where we're going to recreate that meth program for very big trade union uh, health and, and other areas. I'm going on the street. I'm going on this. I, I, I'm a bit of a crazy entrepreneur type guy because I do mad shit. Like last year in August, I went and slept for a week on the streets in Adelaide um, to try and raise awareness in the collective consciousness of people that homelessness isn't a choice, it's a chore. And I'm going to do the same in August this year in Melbourne. I'm going to be doing a week down there. Gaz is going to come on and do that. And I'm trying to hopefully get there to do it with Glenn as well if I can, depending on the work schedule in the next couple of months. Yep. We are a social enterprise that wants to bring a voice to the voiceless and to make people that feel invisible feel visible again. That's the long and short of it. And we're going to do this globally, brother. I'm going to get inside prisons, inside out the prisons, get people connected with themselves, get real fucking rehabilitation programs in there and be a fierce fucking advocate and in the face of every cunt that thinks they can push people down and throw stones in their fucking glass houses. If that's you and you're watching, I'm fucking coming for you, cunt. <laughs> Anyone that fucking thinks that it's okay to stand above a man or a woman and look down on them unless they're helping them up can fuck off and I'm going to come after you. Anybody in the disability sector that is taking money over change and not helping, I'm going to come for you, cunt. Anyone that's doing the wrong thing when they should be helping someone to get their fucking life together, they should help someone to feel seen, heard, and respected, I'm going to make sure that we mirror back everything they do wrong right. What we're going to do with Inside Out Coaching and Consultancy Collective, we called it Collective for a reason. We want nothing but to collaborate with everybody out there that wants to make change and create a mega force. Think about it like a transformer. You know how like they're mini, they're all the transformers, but then they they go they mold into. Yeah, yep. So that's basically what we're going to do. We're gonna we're gonna keep building the systems and things in place. First of all, South Australia. Then we go back to the Northern Territory to do that, and then we start running this shit across the country. When that's proven, I'll be flipping back over to the UK and doing the exact same stuff over there. And from there, we build up globally over the next 15 to 20 years to become the biggest powerhouse in addiction, recovery, and understanding and education that this world's ever seen. Unreal, brother. That is fucking... We work seven days a week, 14 hours a day, and I'm never tired because this is my fucking purpose. This is my mission, and I will make sure that anybody I ever meet, I touch, they feel that I genuinely just care. And my my long-term goal, brother, is by the time I pass away, 
I will have made 11 million people smile and I will have a picture of every single person that has smiled because of something I've done for them. And I'm going to take them 11 million pictures and I'm going to find a struggling artist who wants to give up on their dream. And I'm going to say, I want you to take these 11 million pictures and create one big picture of someone smiling through a collage type thing, through your artistry, and they will end up going on to win the Turner Art Prize, change their life from it, and that will be my legacy. And within six weeks of that happening, I'll pass away because that'll be my thing. And you know what, brother? Those 11 million small photos of everything should make one big portrait of you. That's it. That's, so that's, oh, well, yeah, I suppose I um, thought about like that, but that's kind of cool. Literally. That's kind of cool. You I never thought you, about that. You know how you see those like Tupac and Biggie Smalls fucking. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Brother, for that's sure. Actually, I'm, that's kind of tweaked it even more for me. Yeah, yeah cool. I hadn't thought about that. Bro. But but that's, uh, that's honestly, brother, like any person I meet day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year. My grandpa taught me something. He said, you can measure a man by the things he does when no one's watching. Yeah. And you know what, brother? I could sit on this fucking social media pages of mine, podcast, and I could put screenshots up and say, look at this message I got and look at that. And I could do all that, bro. I could do it. But you know what? I don't do that at all. I don't talk about anyone I help. You know, the amount of people I help for free, the amount of things I try and do, I just care so much for humans, bro. Like, I can't put it into words, but every person I meet, I just want to do something where they walk away better when they leave me than they did when they find me. And you know what? If that's, that to me is success. Don't worry about your money and all this other shit. Every day making someone smile, that's me succeeding. That's me good, you're bro. A, you, honestly, like, you, are, you are a fucking beautiful soul, brother. You truly are. Like, it's, yeah, you're a miracle, bro. And, and you know, and to just to know what your future plans are and, and just how much, how passionate you are about it, bro. It's such a, such a beautiful thing, man. It really is. Like, um, yeah, hats off to you, brother. Yeah, look, it's. I just think that, and I think you'll agree with this. It's something I said to Gaz, and it's something that I uh, uh, feel quite strongly about myself in my own ways. No one will ever know the amount of violence it took to become this kind. Yep, makes perfect sense. And I feel very blessed and lucky to have people coming into my circle of influence and also just people coming into my life like yourself, Gaz, Danny and many others that have come along because every time I meet someone and spend time with them, whether it's on a screen or face to face, you do more for me than I could ever do for you. Oh, brother, that's you, awesome. You, you, you give me another little piece I need of my puzzle to understand who I am. Yep. Yep. That's unreal. It's such a beautiful thing to meet people and know that they're making you a better person. Yeah. Unreal, bro. Look, brother, on, on, yeah, I, I can't 100% agree with that as well. You know, like I, Man, here I am. I'm, I was just this fucking street kid from Tasmania, bro. That was like, you know, I, I lived like, you know, as you know, I lived from the right up at the top of the spectrum, brother. Fucking making tens of thousand dollars a day, right down to homeless. Fucking doing anything I can to stick another needle in my arm, you know. Yeah. 
And for me to run away from that and now be linked up with guys like, you know, yourself and Gaz and Danny and, um, you know, and, um, you know, Russell and all that, it's like, what the fuck? What is happening to me? I'm only very early stages too, but I, I understand what you mean. It is another piece to my puzzle of working out who I am. And it's, yeah, it's it's unreal, hey? like, And you know what, brother? I, I'm honestly very, very excited, bro, to, to come to Adelaide and I'm going to make it happen. I'm 100% going to make it happen, bro. It's the only part of Australia I've never been to before as well. I've done the rest of the country, so... Um, we will 100% make that happen, brother. Yeah, bro, it's, it's five-star treatment when you come down and you ask guys, man, you come stay with us for the weekend. You'll come look around the office. We'll do ice baths. We'll do, we'll do, we'll do saunas and float tanks and salt therapies. We'll get to know each other. We'll spend time really, really connecting as men and as humans, and it makes the podcast so much more fun at the end of it. Awesome, brother. It'll, it'll happen 100%. I've literally already looked up flights and shit, bro, so... I mean, I'll be in contact with you more over the next couple of weeks and we'll get that booked, bro, and hopefully I'll get down there within the, yeah, the next few weeks. Um, i got a quest. I got a question for you before we finish. What's that, brother? What was your moment in time where you realised it was time to turn things around? When well, did the penny drop? Well, bro, well, there's, there was a couple, a couple of times. Um you know, obviously the first time didn't work, you know, because I ended up going back down that path. But the first time was I, if I can put it shortly, short, bro, I, um, and I've spoke to Gaz about this too, and, and some people will think, oh, you swapped another drug for another drug, like swapped a drug for another drug, bro. But I had a hit of DMT. Mm-hmm. Um, have you, do you, are you aware of what that? Yeah, is? yeah, yeah. And I, I had, and I had the most craziest, amazing spiritual awakening. Um, uh, I never smoked a cigarette again. And then I went to prison 10 days after it happened, bro. And in prison, obviously you can't smoke or anything like that. But I just, it was like, it made my prison sentence so like, I just, I can't put it to words, bro. You, you know yourself, with that DMT, it's like you can't put it to words, bro. No, no. And I'm no. telling you, brother, I went all the fucking way with it. Like, um, But I, I did, I got back, I got out of jail and I started, I, I met a girl, bro, that was way, way, way too good for me, bro. Like, you know, she'd never, ever seen drugs or anything like that. She had a government job and has a government job. I'm still with her today. Shout out, beautiful Beck, brother. She's just had my third daughter. But, um, yeah, I met her, bro, and uh, and I took her for granted, bro, for the first couple of, first sort of 12 to 18 months, and, um, and then she took off on me, brother. Within 24 hours, she booked a flight from Tassie to Darwin, and it was like, holy fuck, I've just lost everything I've ever dreamed of. Um, yeah, wow. So for about three weeks after that, after she left, bro, I went, Hard. I mean, fucking. I didn't sleep a wink probably in that three days, and went so fucking hard. And you know, I was just an absolute skeleton of myself, a shell of myself, track marks galore. Yeah. And I jumped on a plane to the Gold Coast, brother, and I have not looked back. And that was nineteen months ago. And and every like, I've just been kicking goal after goal after goal, you know. And now I've had bub. That's just set my fucking recovery in stone. You know, it's like, yeah. Yeah, if if, the, if I can answer you, bro, that's that that'd be it. Yeah. Nah, and and so yet again, 
Dogs need hugs. One hundred percent, yeah. And that's the only thing anyone needs to know is men that are violent, they just need love. Yeah. Don't worry about rehabilitation and all this other shit. They just need some love. Yeah. So you know what, man? Like I take my I take my I take my hat off to you for everything you've been through and what you have suffered and what you have had to see and endure to get to a point where you've been gifted and blessed this beautiful female, this beautiful mother of your children and this beautiful woman that loves you. This isn't random. The universe knew you were worth this, just like it knew you were worth staying alive and getting out of what you were into. And so that's why I know where your trajectory is going. Thank I'm a very that. intuitive. I'm a very intuitive person, and you and that beautiful family of yours. This is just the beginning of the rest of your life, and you're right around the corner from some massive breakthroughs coming, which are going to just you're going to sit there and go, oh, it doesn't even make fucking sense. No, bro, I, I'm very spiritual, bro, and I'm very I believe in like things most people don't, you know, and. You know, brother, I'm already seeing signs, bro. Like, you know, this is a fucking sign right here, you saying it, you know, and it's, yeah, it's very, very exciting, bro. And, I, you know, I'm not I'm not egotistic about it whatsoever, bro, you know, because I've learned the hard way in the past. Um, but, I, you know, without sounding like a hero or a cockhead, I do know that there is big things coming, yeah, bro. The, the, the one thing that will attract it all is to keep certain. Certainty is the only thing you need to get everything you've ever wanted. Yeah. Everything you've ever asked for is coming as long as you hold certainty. Okay. Small circle, big dreams, more moves, less noise. Yes, I love that saying, bro, 100%. Look, brother, I, I appreciate you so much, bro. I really appreciate you coming on, brother. Um, for, for any of my viewers, um, listeners that maybe don't know of you, bro, can you give us a bit of a spill on your socials where, where people can find you? Yeah, man, just, just look up Danny Lloyd, L-L-O-Y-D, and you'll find me. I'll be one of the first that comes up on your Facebook. I do a lot of my stuff on Facebook, um, but I do, you know, I link it all with the Instagram, but all my lives are Facebook. You don't want to miss them. I try and be funny and real at the same time, and also I do a lot of my coaching on my live videos to try and help people get out of the shit they're in. But my main thing is just on Facebook and Insta, man. Danny Lloyd, just put me in, and it'll come up on Insta as Inside Out Coach. Um, you know, got a YouTube, that. A YouTube channel? Yeah, yeah, I've got the Inside Out as podcast, so Inside Out with an RZ on the end yeah. uh, podcast channel. We've been we've got about three or four episodes to wrap up. It's been a great thing. Uh, there's a lot of good education on there as well around addiction recovery, mental health, and the things we suffer through. Awesome, brother. All uh, all your links will um, they'll flash up on the screen, brother, and they'll all uh, be in the description as well, bro. Um, look, bro. I suppose a bit of advice, mate, for anyone you know that maybe maybe uh, heading down the road you headed down. Like, can you can you throw a bit of advice out there, bro? Yeah. So the most important thing to know is that everything everything is happening to you. Everything you think that's happening to you is happening for you, right? It's the most important thing to know of all. It's all happening for you. And what you didn't know, you didn't know will change everything. And I mean fucking everything. 
just understand that you can't have the rainbow without the rain. So if you're stuck in a rut, you're suffering addiction, ask yourself not why is this happening to me, but what is it teaching me? Because addiction is a pain response. So instead of wronging the addiction, ask yourself what's good about this addiction? And that answer will actually give you what you're missing. And from that point there, as I said at the start of the show, the real pain begins when the addiction ends. So if you think getting clean and stopping the drug is the end, it's not. It's just the beginning of the shit show. But I'll tell you this now from someone that's walked it. On the other side of a few tough years are decades of sunshine. Lifetime, now, what would you prefer? Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself, brother. And, you know, if you're ever struggling, you're ever doing it hard, and you're ever wanting to understand why you're in what you're in, I can't give you a lot of my time, but you, anyone wants to talk, message me a voice message. I don't read well. Voice message me and I will voice message you back. And whenever time I have spare, I will always help people for free. And if you are really struggling, you've got money, then you're more than welcome to join us in Inside Out Coaching. But I'm always there for people. So if you need something, reach out. Each one, teach one, reach one. Unreal, brother. It has been an absolute honor having you on the show, bro. Um, yeah, I, I really, truly look forward to catching up with you in the flesh shortly, bro. It's going to be awesome. And, um, yeah, guys, that is uh, Denny Lloyd. All his links are in the description. Um, yeah, thanks for coming on, brother. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Thanks, brother. I really appreciate it. Just keep doing you. Look after that beautiful family of yours. And remember to hold your certainty high all the fucking time. Peace, brother. Thanks, bro. Peace.